0: Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Good morning. Kind of weird, isn't it? Let's just go ahead and acknowledge it. We're just in a weird season. We're in a weird season as a world weird season as a nation, um, weird season being in this season, in this season. What I mean is coming upon the holiday seasons, uh, in the midst of, of COVID, right? That's kind of weird. Uh, you, I'm hearing people, uh, things that they used to say previous years, oh, the holidays are here. I have to go and spend time with my family. And now, uh, you hear a lot of people saying, holidays are here, I can't go and spend time with my family. And so both of those being stressors, and we have all the stressors of the regular holiday stuff added on to all the stressors that, that come with that. Um, well, I haven't heard many people talk about the over-commercialization of Christmas this year. Uh, we are talking a lot about the over-COVIDization of Christmas this year, just made that word up. Uh, and that's, that's just one of those things. We just see more and more and more of that. And it's a weird time. Um, it's a weird time trying to navigate that and say, these are the traditions that we have these are the Christmas traditions that we have the holiday season traditions that we have and that we want to do and and then we have all these other things coming in uh, from outside it's weird season in our nation weird season for our families, weird season for churches uh, some of the if you've gotten last week's email you saw some of those stats probably if you read those links uh, we have some just some weird things going on uh, behind the scenes among church leaders a lot of us talking a lot of studies that are being done uh, they're finding that the estimate now is that somewhere between 20 to 30% of the people who have quit attending church during the pandemic will never come back. Never, as in ever return. They are they've dropped out of church and they don't plan on ever returning to church. One of the estimates I read here last week was that 25% of American churches will very likely close their doors Permanently, due to complications due to COVID and difficulties there not being able to navigate that. 25%, one quarter of American churches. Now, careful to say, as you've probably heard me say before, does that mean that COVID is the root cause of that? No, in some cases, these churches weren't doing well and they just didn't make it. Another shocking statistic I heard over the last week or two is that 70%, 70% of pastors are either looking for a job at another church because of the way, the difficulties of their own church during COVID. They are looking for a job outside of ministry, just being done with ministry, or their church is trying to run them off because they felt that the church felt they either did too much, that is too many restrictions or not enough related to COVID. That is, they weren't careful enough about COVID. Now, hopefully I'm not one of those, unless y'all are planning on running me off. I'm not aware of that, but I don't fall into the other categories. But 70% is the estimate of American pastors who will be looking for some other place to be due to the difficulties of COVID. That's some weird stuff. We would never think that we would be facing those kind of stats. But at the same time, in the midst of all that weirdness, in the midst of the weirdness of this season, there are some things that we want to cling to in the midst of the Christmas and holiday season where we can go back to those and say, we're going to do those. Um, we're, We're going to have our Christmas program like we do every year. We're planning on doing that. Uh, we're planning on helping Mighty God Missionary Baptist Church again this year. Just because uh, we're going through a difficult time with COVID doesn't mean that we aren't going to step out and, and do the work we need to do and, and make somebody else's Christmas an incredible place. Because we're gonna, we've done that in previous years, we're going to do that again. But more and more, I'm seeing that the danger of complacency might very well exceed the danger of the virus. And so we have to guard against complacency as well as the virus. But we also want to continue traditions. And many of you have Christmas traditions. Uh, One of our Christmas traditions at my parents' house is that my mom always puts out the nativity set, and she always opens the Bible to the book of Matthew, and she lays it there in front of the nativity set, and that stays there the whole Christmas season. And I was thinking about that recently, and I was thinking about how normally whenever we talk about the Christmas story, and there's nothing wrong with this, by the way, but normally when we talk about the Christmas story, we go to Matthew, and we drop down around Matthew chapter eighteen or, or verse 18 of chapter 1, and we start around there, or we go over to Luke chapter 2, and that's where we start. But today, I want us to start where Matthew does start, which is in Matthew 1.1, and there's a genealogy there. Now I know you're either one of those people probably who loves genealogies or hates genealogies. You love talking about ancestry or you don't. You go to a family reunion, there's usually that person, you know, the keeper of the book, and and they're there and they have all the information and they're like, you know, you look a lot like your great 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 grandfather who came over on a boat from so and so and who settled in this place and who did this and and maybe you're one of those people. I, I like I, I have a I'm kind of in between. There are certain things about genealogy I really love, answer history I really love. Uh, I know that my family originally came down from East Tennessee, where I used to live, but they came down from East Tennessee and settled in Kemper County, Mississippi. It's believed the reason they stopped in Kemper County is because the hills there looked like a miniaturized version of East Tennessee. And so they stopped in the hill country, and that's where they, they sort of set up homestead, and that's where they were for many years through the 1800s and up until today. And so you look at where you came from in a genealogy and it gives you some, some information that you might be lacking. Otherwise Genealogies show you how you came to be where you are. And whenever you look at Matthew's genealogy, it's exactly what it does. It shows us how Jesus came to be and through what line Jesus arose. Now, I realize that we have Jesus being conceived of the Holy Spirit, absolutely, but we're talking, from, we're talking about from the, the other side, from the human side. And so I want us to look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 today, and a few other verses there in Matthew chapter 1 in the genealogy of Jesus. And I want us to begin at the begats. Uh, so the old translation, the old King James, so and so begat so and so, begat so and so, begat so and so. We're going to begin at the begats today, so far as the Christmas story is concerned. And over the next few weeks, as we're going through our Christmas series, God with Us, we'll be looking at some passages that may be very familiar, but we're going to look at them in context and look at the bigger picture of Christmas. And so you find in Matthew 1 1, just one verse, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, we can read that and we can pass right over it. But Matthew is saying something very, very specific in chapter 1, verse 1. He's telling us some things about Jesus and about the lineage of Jesus himself. And I want us to take this verse and I want us to go through it backwards. I want us to start with the son of Abraham. Because in Jesus, here's what we find. We find the promise of a worldwide blessing. There's the promise of a worldwide blessing. In that phrase, son of Abraham. If you drop down to Matthew chapter one, verse two, you find the reference to Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac, the father of Jacob and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. So this is the beginning of the genealogy of Jesus. So what does that have to do with a worldwide blessing though? What does the son of Abraham, now that doesn't mean we see son of Abraham or we're gonna look at in just a moment, son of David, It doesn't mean an immediate family member. It doesn't mean that Abraham was his father in the sense of he was his dad. He was his ancestor. He was a son of Abraham because Abraham was a patriarch. He was a son of David in that he's from the line of David. But what does it mean that he's a son of Abraham and how do we connect that to a worldwide blessing? Well, we have to go all the way back to Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 12, we find that God speaks to Abraham. Genesis 12, one. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran and called upon the name of the Lord. So in Genesis 12, God speaks to Abram, later become Abraham, and God speaks to him and says, get out of your country, get away from your people to a land that I will show you. Notice he doesn't say, to this particular land, here's a map. To this particular place, here's a GPS, Abram. He doesn't tell him that. He doesn't give him coordinates. He just says, get out of your land to a place I will show you. It's an act of faith that Abram leaves his land. Now, sometimes we say in today's modern mobile culture, we say, that's no big deal. People leave their homes all the time. That's no big deal. People leave their home and will move from one state to another state or go from one country to another country. They'll get aboard a plane and they'll fly somewhere else and they'll live there as a missionary. That's really no big deal. But you have to understand in the case of Abram, that was a big deal. That was a very, very big deal. Because what God is telling Abram, listen, I want you to leave your country, the place you've always known. I want you to leave your people, people who speak a common language. I want you to leave a people, a people who know you. I want you to leave your family. And in doing so, you're leaving behind your inheritance. You're not going to get the inheritance of your dad because you're going to be leaving the land. So I'm going to give you an inheritance. I'll be your spiritual father. I'm going to give you something, Abram, but you leave. And if you do this, I'm telling you, I am going to make you a great nation. I am going to bless all the nations of the world through you. What does that mean? Well, God, we find in Genesis chapter 22, reaffirms this covenant. Genesis 22, verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. That is, God has called upon Abram, uh, Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, his only son. I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. That blessing comes in the person of Jesus. It is through the person of Jesus that all the nations of the world are blessed. Now some would say, well, but it's through Israel. Absolutely. But it's not just ending with the land of Israel. It is ending with the person of Jesus. And so I remember when uh, we went to Israel last year, last November, we were on a plane and all the way over the Atlantic. Some of you have heard me talk about this. I sat next to a, a young Jewish man, a young Orthodox Jew by the name of Yonki. We've become really good friends. We communicate almost weekly uh, through WhatsApp. And, uh, but we, we talk back and forth, but we met there on the plane, sitting next to each other. And Yonki, as we were flying somewhere over the Mediterranean, he looked at me and he said, you know... It's amazing to me that Israel is still in existence. And he said, doesn't that amaze you? And I said, well, it amazes me, but we know why. And he looked at me and he said, I know why. I don't know that you know why. I said, oh, no, I know why. He said, well, I'd be really interested for you to tell me why you think Israel still exists. I said, okay, I'll tell you. I said, let's go all the way back. He said, all the way back to what? I said, all the way back to Abraham. Well, his eyes got really big. And so I started telling him the story. I just went back and related everything about God speaking to Abraham. Yankee, didn't he tell Abraham to leave his home and leave his country? Yes. Didn't he make a covenant with him and promise he's going to bless him and in him all the nations of the world will be blessed? And he said, yes. And then he looks over at Rebecca, my wife, he looked over and he said, he's almost Jewish. (laughs) I said, no, Yonke. It's that we have the same spiritual history except Yankee." The difference is where you stop is that God has blessed with land, and God is blessed with His presence, of being with His people in a land. But where we go as followers of Christ is that blessing came in the person of Jesus, and the Messiah that you say you're waiting on is the Messiah that I believe already came. Jesus is that worldwide blessing. In Jesus, we find the promise of a worldwide blessing. God with us. That blessing, that worldwide blessing, that throughout the world Jesus' name would be known. And that's what we find as the beginning of the birth story of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. There is a worldwide blessing that is promised through Jesus. Not only that, there's an eternal kingdom. Let's back up one more verse or one more phrase. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Back up one. There's the son of Abraham, worldwide blessing. There is the son of David that points toward the promise of an eternal kingdom, an eternal kingdom. Look down in Matthew chapter one, verse six, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was a father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Jesse, the father of David, the king. You find throughout the Old Testament all these promises related to the Davidic covenant. The covenant, the agreement between God and David and David's offspring. Listen to Psalm 89, verse 3. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. It's an eternal kingdom. Now, if you want to to do a fun Bible study, just go through the book of Matthew and look at every time Matthew refers to an Old Testament prophecy connecting Jesus as the Messiah. Over 60 times, Matthew goes back to the Old Testament and refers to some Old Testament prophecy and makes a, draws a straight line between that Old Testament prophecy and the person of Jesus as the Messiah. So you find this eternal kingdom. You find this eternal kingdom through the lineage of David. David was a king. David was a king there in the Holy Land. David was one. The Bible says that he was after God's own heart. And it's through David's lineage that we find the Savior arising. Thus, Jesus is of earthly, kingly lineage. He is of earthly royalty, not only heavenly royalty, but earthly royalty as well. Listen listen to uh, Psalm 89, verse 20. I have found David, my servant, with my holy oil, I have anointed him so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm shall also strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him. And in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever. And my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heavens. I will establish his offspring forever his throne is always going to stand. God will have an eternal kingdom made known, not only a heavenly eternal kingdom that is established forever, but this earthly kingdom through the lineage of David. And who is that? Jesus. He is born king. He was born a king. It wasn't that he rose to royalty. It wasn't that he inherited royalty from the death of someone else. It wasn't that he got it by some sort of decree. It wasn't that he got the position by election or anything like that. And there was a bunch of people who cast ballots. No, he was born king. He always was. He was born the king. Listen to Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. being the son of David. But not only that, let's back up one more phrase. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. It also points to the promise of a sacrificial savior. Not only do we have this this, um, kingdom that is going to be eternal, not only do we have this worldwide blessing that is promised through Jesus, but also a sacrificial savior, Jesus Christ this is the, geneal- the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Look at Matthew 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. The reason he calls him Jesus, we find in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. "She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins." Savior. That's what the word Jesus means. Salvation. That's what it means. And then you have Jesus Christ, Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. The one that God has chosen to to deliver his people. And so often you find all throughout the Bible that people mistake the whole idea of the salvation of Jesus. Many times they want a political savior to come and set things right and kick Rome out. They want an economic savior. Many times they want a cultural savior. We find the same things happen today. We want a political savior. We want an economic savior. We want a cultural savior. Jesus is a spiritual savior. And after he changes people spiritually, then there is the effect in all other realms of our lives. But ultimately, Jesus came to save us from our sins. Not to save us from cultural disorder in fact in some instances you find that jesus says i came to bring division people are going to be divided over me and we see that again and again sometimes people say well jesus came and he's going to bring economic salvation well if that's the case then we have to contend with the fact that the vast majority of people who are followers of christ throughout all the nations live below the poverty line and sometimes he was always going to be a political savior. He's going to come and say everything right politically. You're right. He's going to set everything right politically. Everything will be set right one day because he's going to have a kingdom. And it won't be due to popular vote. And he's going to set all things right. Everything is going to be right. And everybody's theology is going to get tweaked. Some maybe more than others. But we find that in the Bible, it's very clear. He's called Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins he's a sacrificial savior that didn't sit well that's jarring when we think about it it's jarring when we think about that little manger and we understand that that manger in which baby jesus laid that manger points directly to the cross that's the whole point here lately i've heard some people talk about jesus and about the meaning of christmas and um I'm not, I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm not. I'm not gonna say that I'm doubting their motivations, but I am saying th- they don't convey the whole story. I've heard multiple people say things like this: "The story of Christmas is Jesus in the manger, so peaceful." That's the whole message of Christmas. The whole message of Christmas is just the peace of the, the peace, like Jesus had, like that night when Jesus was born, just that peace and that calm. That's really what God wants for all of us. And I'm thinking peace and calm, you know, now listen, I've never been in them. I've never been there when a baby was born, but I know in most cases, from what I hear, it ain't peace. It ain't calm, right? Um, that's, that's not, that's not what happens. And then you've got all the world raging around him. You've had all the dangers and all the difficulties and everything going on with Jesus and how they have to later flee and they have to flee for their lives and all sorts of other things going on. And you find that it wasn't a comfortable thing. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a necessarily a peaceful thing in that sense, but we have to understand the ultimate peace that that manger points toward is the peace that came through death on a cross. Let's go back to Abraham for a second. God ratifies the covenant with Abraham. Now, I know you're saying, why are we backtracking? Well, we're backtracking because it's important to understand this whole idea of, of a sacrificial savior. If you backtrack to this whole idea of a worldwide blessing, there, there came a point in Abram's life that God ratified his covenant. That means he, he went into a formal making of that covenant with Abraham. Now, it's important to understand that one of the ways that you use to make covenants is that you would shed blood. In fact, the phrase to make a covenant literally, literally means to cut a covenant. To cut a covenant. And so you would actually cut a covenant. When we talk about cut a deal, you would actually cut a covenant. What would you cut? Well, in some instances, people would cut themselves. They would shed their own blood. In some instances, you would take animals And you would kill an animal. And one of the most common ways was you would take an animal, you would cut the animal in half. Now, if any of you have maybe have shot a deer recently or something like that, or you've butchered an animal, you know how much blood there can be involved uh, whenever you start cutting into an animal. And so they would cut animals in half and they would put one half on one side and one half through the other, on the other And then the two parties who were going to enter into covenant together would walk between those bloody pieces and in doing so would recite the terms of the covenant. They would say out loud, these are the terms of our covenant. This is the agreement that we're entering into. And the implication was, if I break this covenant, may what is done to this animal may be done to me. May I die. If I break the covenant that I'm making with you now that is the seriousness of these covenantal agreements God makes that promise to abraham And then god says we're going to cut a covenant together But notice the difference in the covenant that god cuts with abram And what we just talked about the normal way of doing it genesis chapter 15 verse 7 And he said to him, that is, God said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans, that's the land where Abraham once lived, to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, And laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. That's Egypt. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation when the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. So Abram didn't walk between the pieces, but God did. In this fiery manifestation of himself, he said, this is my promise to you. And God walks through the pieces. Abram was over there kind of in this, in this trance or in this sleep. In this, this induced sleep that God brought upon him. And God himself walks between the pieces. Meaning what? Meaning God is saying, Abram, I am going to fulfill this covenant unilaterally you're not walking through it with me. This is not an if then type of covenant. This is a, I shall covenant. I am going to do what I say. And not only is God saying it's unilateral, God is saying, may this be done to me if I break this covenant. But not only that, normally both people would walk between those pieces. And each one would assume the responsibility if they broke that agreement. Do you see what's happening? By God walking through there alone, God is saying, not only do I take responsibility for my part, Abram, I'm taking responsibility for your part as well. And even if you break that covenant, if you break that covenant, may the consequences of you breaking the covenant be upon me. And that's exactly what happens in the person of Jesus. Jesus took upon himself the curse of the broken agreement with God. Jesus took sin upon himself, even though he didn't deserve it. He took it upon himself. You find that Jesus Christ, that genealogy of Jesus Christ, points toward a sacrificial savior. And that's what you find. Listen to Isaiah 53 verse 6 this is a prophecy concerning the Messiah. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and by with his wounds we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned every one to his own way and the lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all it's a sacrificial savior That promise of Jesus Christ points toward a sacrificial savior. The savior, the Messiah, who was promised back in the Old Testament. And it was said clearly in the Old Testament, he was going to bear the sins of all people. Why? Because he entered into this agreement and he said, I'm going to be right there. I'm going to take it upon myself. And that's exactly what he does. He takes the sin of humans upon himself the manger points toward the cross. Inevitably, it points toward the cross. And the full meaning of the birth story of Jesus, the full meaning of Matthew 1.1 is wrapped up in the reality that Matthew 1.1 points toward, yes, the birth of the Savior, but yes, it also points toward the sacrificial death of that Savior. That's when we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate Christmas because it's God with us. God coming and living among us. God assuming sinful flesh, the image of sinful flesh. God, Jesus was completely sinless, but he, he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Lived a perfect life and died a sinner's death in our place. So may this be done to me if that covenant is broken. Knowing, knowing that humanity was incapable of keeping God's perfect standard. And yet God said, I'm sending my son, the Messiah, Jesus, the one who will be a savior, the one who will save his people from their sins. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So this Christmas, when when my mother lays that Bible out in front of that nativity set and it's flipped over to Matthew 1.18 or it's flipped over to Luke chapter two. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to flip it back to Matthew 1.1 for just a little bit and just reflect on that. Jesus, all the promises, all the promises we find in the Old Testament, all the promises of the Messiah, all the promises of worldwide blessing, all the promises of a universal and eternal kingdom. All the promises of a sacrificial savior. They're all wrapped up in the person of Jesus. And this Christmas season, both here at East Haven and also among your families, I pray that that's what we bear in mind. In midst all the weirdness and the strangeness and all the untraditional things that we may be doing and all the traditional things that we cling to just for some sense of normalcy. I pray that we will remember That all the promises find their yes in the person of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come before you, we give you thanks that you sent your Son. You sent Jesus to us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in sending him, you demonstrated your love for us. And Father, I know that so often we get so caught up in, in our own blessings, our own personal blessings from our four walls of our own homes we we sometimes forget that jesus came to be a worldwide blessing and we as your people are to make him known lord god i pray that this christmas season we would do just that we would make those blessings known father he came fulfilling that promise of an eternal kingdom We get so concerned as we watch the news today, Lord God, and we see kingdoms around our world rising and falling. We see political systems in turmoil. We see parties vying for power. But in the midst of that, Lord God, we can recognize that we have a kingdom that can't be shaken, we have an eternal kingdom that's going to last forever. We have an eternal kingdom that one day will be made manifest clearly so that all will see King Jesus as he is and will take a knee. And Father, I pray that this Christmas season we would remember that we serve a sacrificial savior. That the manger points directly to the cross and the cross to the tomb and the tomb to the empty grave and that empty grave to the eventual return of jesus that we expect and look forward to but father i pray that the sacrificial nature of our savior's life and death will be reflected in the way that we sacrifice for others this season and father there may be somebody watching listening maybe someone here today who's never made a decision to follow that sacrificial savior father they've heard they've heard the message that you loved us and in showing your love for us you sent your son to die a sinner's death on a cruel cross that he did not deserve so that we could receive that which we do not deserve that is eternal life with you and father we recognize that it's through repentance it's through faith believing that jesus is who he says he is and he did what he said he'll do that he died on a cross for us and that he will save us if we call out to him for forgiveness and if we repent and turn from our sin and turn toward him, we will be saved. Father, I pray that some would make that decision today. They would say yes to this one, to this Jesus in whom all the promises find their yes. And so, Father, we ask now that you would go before each of us. For those of us who follow Christ, Father, I pray that this season would be a season of reflection, of realignment if need be of reigniting our passion for you, that we wouldn't find ourselves in those disturbing and sad percentages and statistics that we mentioned earlier, that we would be a people who cling close to you, who run all the harder, who are more bold for you because of this season than we would be otherwise. And we pray that you would empower us to be so. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.